morning. Just join with me in prayer, please. Uh, Father, thank you so very much for this opportunity to be in your house. Thank you. That's a safe place. May it be a safe place. As we gather together as a bunch of broken people and uh, touched and amazed by your grace, thank you, God, for that. Father, thank you that when we see broken and shattered, you put us back together and make our lives whole and complete and worth living again. Father, a lot of us have personal failure in our lives. We look in the rearview mirror and we see a tangled wreckage of marriages and homes, parent-student relationships, careers, Sometimes involving prison time. Some involving the prison of alcohol and drugs. But I'm glad. I'm glad you're the fixer. I'm glad you're the rescuer. I'm glad you're the healer. I'm glad you're the redeemer. I'm glad you can restore what time and Satan has stolen away. Thanks, God. Father, I, I know, I know, I know that you have assembled these group of folks today for a very divine purpose. Father, there are some folks here today living in a far country. And they're afraid to come home because they don't know what they'll find. Oh, may they see what they're going to find if they'll just come home to you. So have your way, Holy Spirit. Draw men and women to the precious Savior. Draw men and women, children back to the Father. And we'll give you honor and glory and praise for it. Amen. Amen. Well, God's good, isn't he? Um, Don't know what you expect the Sunday after Thanksgiving, but it's already been gooder than I thought. I'll guarantee you that. I know Dave was freaking out about the praise band, everybody gone out of town and all that, and, and it's just been crazy. But you know what? God's good. I was telling him, I said, hey, was that really bright light coming on? Was that intentional or accidental? And he said, no, it was accidental. I said, well, you said let your light shine. God just turned them on for you. That's all. You know, that's all there was. You know, we've been journeying now for about five, and this will be the sixth week together on this unbroken series. And today does talk about personal failure. And when you think about personal failure, you're probably just naturally inclined, or especially if you're a church-type person, you're inclined to think about kind of exiting the scene with God. And that's kind of what we want to talk about when we, as people, choose to go to a far country. I'm going to ask Patty to put a picture up and see if you remember this face of this young man. Um, his name, do you remember his name? Bo Bergdahl. Bo Bergdahl. He was a private in the Army. He was stationed in Afghanistan. And from every evidence that we can find, that they can see um, and what his friends said about him, what his, you know, his fellow soldiers said about him, he was just a different cut of cloth when he got over there. Uh, one soldier said he spent more time with the Afghan people than he did his own people. Um, he became, see if these words ring a bell from about four weeks ago, he became disenchanted 
He became disappointed. He became discouraged, writing his father about these feelings that he was having. And then one day, Bo walked away. During the night sometime, he neatly folded his uniforms on his bed where they found them the next morning. And he began a journey and he walked to a far country. He walked out intentionally, it appears, to be captured by the Afghan Taliban. And uh, he was there five years. I need to be honest with you. It appears he deserted. He appeared to be a traitor to his country. That's still being determined in the military courts even today. But he was there in that far country for five years. Until in 2014, some kind of deal was arranged, a prisoner exchange, and five Afghans were exchanged for uh, then, now, Sergeant uh, Birdall. I can tell you this. I don't know what he expected to find out in that desert. But when he went to that far country, he didn't find what he was looking for. And what I want you to understand is, by this story, is that so often we are tempted to walk away from God. Not really sometimes knowing what we're looking for, but we walk away from God. And when we get there, it may happen in days, weeks, months, or years we eventually realized that whatever it was we were looking for was not there. There is a wonderful story in the Word of God in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse number 11, that teaches us this powerful truth. And I want you to know, I am pretty certain on the radio this morning, and I'm pretty certain also that um, in this auditorium today, there are some folks living in the far country. And that's why I said this is a safe place. I think God put you here intentionally to hear this. And you need to know so you won't feel like, oh no, it's, it's a lot of us have lived in the far country. And as you're going to hear in a moment, again, a lot of us are living at least partially there now. So in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 11, Jesus is telling a story. He's already told a couple of stories about things that were lost and things that were found. And then the Bible says in verse number 11 that he starts a new story. He was, in fact, the master storyteller. And so the Bible says in Luke 15, verse uh, chapter 15, verse 11, it says, Then he said, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. Now, it's kind of amazing is that Jesus always was using two. You know, he told a story about, about there are two roads that people can choose from. Um, in Matthew 7, he talked about the fact that there were two builders and they built two houses on two different foundations. Several more times in his teachings, he was talking about this contrast of two. But here's what I want you to get. In this case, these two sons are a lot more similar than you would think that they are. Some of you have heard the story of that's been dubbed the prodigal son, but I'm here to tell you that these two boys were a lot more alike than you think. And you've got to come back tonight to find out about the other son because we're going to teach on that tonight. But this father had two sons. And in this case, in this part of the story... Jesus says 
And the younger of them said to his father, okay, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the younger says to his father, give me the inheritance that is going to be mine eventually. Now, a lot has been made of this, and and good stuff, by the way. A lot has been taught about this. A lot of commentaries have said it different ways, and a lot of preachers have said it different ways, too. But it boils down to this, and they certainly, all those were not wrong in portraying it this way. Basically, Father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I can't wait for you to die, so give me now what I'm going to get when you eventually die. All those are probably accurate portrayals. And and think how abrupt and think how wrong. It would be wrong in this culture, but think how wrong it would be in that strict culture. It was almost unimaginable. But what the boy is saying is this. We don't know how it happened. Jesus doesn't give us those details. And by the way, you may not know how it happened in your life either. You, you may not know how this scenario played out, but you look back and you go, I know this story because it's my story. But somewhere in the process of growing up in this home, the young boy started thinking about life without dad. Life without dad. What would life be like Without dad. Maybe, maybe the father said some, one too many no's. Uh, students, you can identify with this. Maybe, maybe perhaps you know, one rule was too strict. And he started rolling around in his mind. What would life be like without dad? And that's your story. That's my story. On the occasions that I decided to take a little journey into the far country, it began with me somewhere in the process, and it began with you somewhere in the process. And by the way, again, you might be there now. You said, you know, what would life be without Dad? Now, I know, I hope you understand that when when Jesus said the Father, he was speaking about God. When, When I say the word Dad, I'm not being light with God, but I'm trying to give you something that will stick with you after you leave today. But somewhere you remember back when you kind of walked away from God, when you took a little journey from God, it began with you saying, what would life be like if Dad wasn't here? That's the root of the prodigal journey. What would life be like if dad wasn't here? It's really interesting because the the Bible gives us so many like really good things about this that, that again, I don't know if we grasp and I'm not sure we've heard, we've been taught accurately and clearly enough because this is huge. I mean, too many of us have our traveling clothes on under our regular clothes. Too many of us keep a suitcase packed in the closet. What would life be without dad? Oh, in Psalm 14, and also in Psalm 55, there's this great verse that's just tucked away in the book of Psalms, and here's what it says. The fool, or to make it just a little softer for you, the foolish person, the foolish person, the foolish person has said in his heart, there is no God. 
And it's really cool. If, probably if you've got the King James, if you've got either the New King James, or maybe some other translations, you'll see that the words there is are put in italics. That simply means this. They're not in the original language. They are put there to help us in our English speaking. So, so the Psalms would read something like this. The fool has said in his heart, no God. No God. And, and, and in one context, that means the person who says, there is no God, no God. But in clearly another context that is not taken out of context, that is not twisting the scripture, it describes the person who would say, I am a child of God, but I've entertained the thought of imagining life without dad or life without God in the mix. No God. It's called practical atheism. You need to write that term down. If you don't remember anything else I, you know, I, I teach you today, take that one home. Practical atheism. It's, it's where we say we believe in God. We believe in God. But in our life or in facets of our life, we live as if God does not exist. Verbally, in our minds, we say we believe in God, but in our life or in factions of our life, facets of our life, we live as if God does not exist. And that's what happened when the young man said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. When he was entertaining the thoughts of life without God, he decided that life would be better without God. Can I ask you a question? Really want you to chew on this one. If you are a Christ follower, if you are a disciple of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are a person who, are, who is on a journey with Jesus, if that's enough ways to describe it, what areas of your life have you, A, entertained that life without God would be better? Maybe you're single today and you're 30 and you're going, you know, I don't care if he's a believer or not. At least he's got two legs. And you would date anything that walks because you want a relationship. Or maybe it's your checkbook. Or maybe it's your calendar. Or maybe it's your relationship with people. Maybe it's the career you chose when you know that's not what God had in mind for you. What areas have you said life without dad is better than with dad? Maybe you're here for the first time in a very long time in church. And again, any church. And there was a time when you walked with God successfully and, and, and safely. And this is the first time you've been here and you've been in a far country. And for some reason, God put you here today. Maybe you're listening on the radio and you found music and now you found this. I don't know, but I know this. You're entertaining thoughts or you have entertained thoughts that life without dad is better. My finances are better without dad. My marriage is better without dads. My parent relationships with my student is better without dad. Although my career is better than without dad. And you're living that way, even though you profess to be a Christ follower. How interesting. How interesting. So, in Matthew 7, it's one of those stories that Jesus uses two in. This is what he says. It ties in so good, I can't, I can't not mention it. 
everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. Have you got that? That would describe the person either entertaining the idea of the far country or living in a far country. Anyone who has heard these sayings, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, all those things, but you know what? Life without dad sounds pretty good. It's always marked by the one who knows these sayings, hears these sayings, and does not do them. Who does Jesus liken him to? A foolish man. And what did Psalm 14 call the person who lives as if God does not exist? The foolish person. How interesting how that ties in. So Jesus says, so if you're here today and you know the sayings and you're not doing them, you're like a foolish man who, excuse me, who built his house on the sand. And, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and, and, and beat on that house. What a great verbiage. Beat on that house and it fell. And great was the fall. It's like Jesus is giving us a big warning. Be careful that you don't entertain thoughts of life without dad. Be careful you don't reach a point when you start thinking, I think I would be better off if God was not a part of my life. Be careful. Because there's a collapse coming. There's a disaster coming. There are consequences coming that are way bigger than you can imagine. Well, back to our story. Back to our story. The last part of verse number 12. So, he, he, the father, so he, the father, divided to them his livelihood. Again, how interesting is that? In this story, the father says, okay, we'll do that. So, two-thirds went to the older brother, one-third went to the younger brother. Now, you're probably asking, why in the world... Would the father do that? Now, you would never say this about your decisions, but every one of us sitting here probably have had a parent-made decision uh, with their child, and you said, why in the world would they do that? Well, now, now we're sitting there okay in this story that Jesus is telling. The father does exactly what the younger person wants and divides up the livelihood. And notice, by the way, both kids get their inheritance. So he divvies it up. I think there's a reason. You, you can debate this with, with yourself or with other people. But I think there's a reason why God put this in the Word. I believe there were some lessons that need to be learned. I think God will let us take journeys so we'll learn lessons on those journeys. It's kind of a Romans 8.28 thing. All things work together for good. Even our disobedience, even our journeys into a far country, I'm grateful to report to you that God can bring good even out of that. So I think the younger son had... No, no, no. I know the younger son had some lessons to learn. And I also know this. That God wants... Sons and not robots. He wanted that younger boy to be in his house more than anything. But he wanted the younger boy to be in the house because he wanted to be there. So he divvies up the livelihood. And sure enough, no surprise, no spoiler... A few days later, verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son 
gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, just like Bo did, the soldier. He reached some kind of a point in his mental capacity that he acted on what he had been thinking. And we're not careful. When we start entertaining the thoughts of life without dad is better, life without God is better, we'll find ourselves acting on what we've been planning to do. And so he, he gathers all together. He journeys to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, the word prodigal means reckless. And it, and it usually does tie into a living style, a reckless living style. But I want to key in on that word wasted. He went to this far country, and when he got there, he wasted everything that he had. Now, now again, you know, life, life with the father, life with dad is better than we often can see. Because we have this tendency to, to not see the love notes, the good things, the great things that God sends our way every single day. You know, again, tucked away in the scripture, uh, let me just read it to you, is Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Listen to these words. This is, this is life with the Father. This is life with Dad. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. It's, it's a life of, of kind of like an extravagance. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Life with the Father is provided at no cost to us, at great cost to his, to his Son and to the Father. He says, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is life with the Father. But the boy couldn't see it because the more he rolled this around his head, life without dad would be better. Life without dad would be better. And he stopped seeing the blessings and started seeing restrictions and bondage of which neither is true of the Christian life. Verse 2 in Isaiah 55. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. God's saying, why do you want to go to a far country where it's going to cost you so much when I will give you everything prepaid? Why are you going to a far country where it's going to cost you everything, at best making for a little happiness, when I will give you total joy and safety and satisfaction and peace? Well, he did. He took off and he started wasting his possessions on prodigal or reckless living. Now, it's kind of like one plus one equals two, two plus two equals four. In verse 17, you know, the Bible says, and when he had spent all, it's going to happen. See, the allurement of the far country is a false hope. It will not bring you happiness. It will not bring you joy. It will not bring you satisfaction. It will not bring you peace. Again, 
Whatever Bo Birdall was looking for when he walked off on that evening in Afghanistan, he did not found, find. What he found was five years of imprisonment. And because he's not dealing with God, probably the rest of his life in prison. So, he says, he spent all. The happiness waned away, the passion died, the, the thrill dulls, and he spends it all. And there arose a severe famine. Underline that if you're taking notes or if you're doing your Bible. Underline that severe famine. Because famines are real common in the far country. When you get there, eventually there's going to be a famine. And all the things you thought you couldn't live without are going to dry up. Mark it down. New girlfriend, new marriage, new job, new career. New boyfriend, new and different all becomes old and the same. Verse 15. There's, there's always consequences in the far country. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. He got there, ended up joining himself to a, to a person. I was trying, it's somewhere between minimum wage and a bondservant. If you're old enough, remember the coal industry having the company store. Where, where they paid you in some kind of thing besides money, and you had to go to the company store where they paid exor- where you had to pay exorbitant prices to get the things that you needed. So you worked all day and all night to go to the company store where they overcharged you, and you ended up with nothing. That's kind of what happens. Not to mention, you know, the fact that he's feeding pigs and being a good Jewish boy, he shouldn't be in there we're pig- we're near pigs. Besides all that, he joins himself to this citizen. And verse 17 is like the keystone. Verse 17 is like huge. Verse 17 is the big hope. Verse 17 is the moment the father was hoping for. Verse 17 is the moment the father was hoping for. When he gave him that money and said, okay, here you go, knowing he would probably go to the far country, it was this moment the father saying, God, well, of course he was God in the story, but God let him reach this point. Here's what it says. But when he came to himself, the turning point in the far country And the one that God waits for you to reach is when you come to yourself. When you have your aha moment. When you go, oh. I love it when my children have oh moments. I'm not sure how old Rebecca was when she finally said, you know, Mom and Dad, you were right. (laughs) It was awesome. And now when her kids mess up and Mom and Dad don't know what to do with Ethan or with hope or Ethan or, or faith, Awesome, baby! <laughs> you learned it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he came to himself. Now, I need to tell you something. 
I'm trying to watch the clock, by the way. Let me tell you something. Don't, don't be too quick to push the prodigal back home. You can go to the foreign country, to the far country, and maybe drag that person back, but the heart will stay in the far country. The answer to coming home is the heart. So, so don't, listen, don't be so quick to drag someone. What, what do you do, Dwayne? What do you do? I've got someone. My kid's in the far country. My husband's in the far country. What do I do? What do I do? You pray, 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 pray. And you love, 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 love. Put your rocks away. Get on your knees and pray to a father who can change that boy, that girl, that man, that woman's heart in the far country. That's what you do. When are we going to let God be God and quick in our hands in His business? Now, you may have to do some tough love. You may have to do that. But don't discount the power of prayer. And don't discount the power of love. The person has to reach the point when he comes to himself. Because that's the moment he goes, aha. Here's what he said. Verse 17. How many of my father's hired servants had bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Huh. How about that? He, he looks back at the former life, life with dad, and he goes, you know what? The servants have it better than me. All of a sudden, here's what the aha moment does. All of a sudden, life with dad is sounding better than life without dad. And life, when life with dad is better than life without dad, the prodigal starts parking his, or packing his bags. When he starts realizing, wait a minute, get ready, the suitcase is coming out. So he came to himself, said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So he's going to go home. He's going to go to the Father, and he's going to confess. Crucial, if you're in a far country today, if there's an area of your life that's in a far country, crucial is repentance. When, when the young boy agreed to say to the Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, that was repentance. I want you to know something. We, you must not undersell repentance. You know, we are too good saying to God the Father, I'm sorry with full intentions of doing it again. Repentance carries the idea with, by God's grace, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. So this, this it was true. He had sinned against the Father. And it was true, it needed to be said, but it needed to be felt. It needed to be sincere. I have sinned, Father, against you and before heaven. Number two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. True. True. And it needed to be expressed. It needed to be expressed. Let me pause a moment. You do understand. 
that wherever you are in your station of life, that you are there by God's grace. If you are born into a family of extreme wealth, it's God's grace. If you're born into a family of extreme poverty, it is God's grace. If you're somewhere in the middle, it is by God's grace. He, listen, he was who he was with this father, not because in heaven there was a lottery and he chose the right number. It was by God's amazing grace that this son was born into that family. He wasn't worthy to be a son. But being a son's not about worthiness. It's about grace. Jackie, you need some company on that one. Let me, let me try it again. Maybe we just didn't say it correctly. Being a son is not about worthiness. It's about God's grace. You are a child of God. You've been blood-bought. You've been redeemed. You've been rescued. You're going to heaven. You'll never walk alone. You've got a friend who stays closer than a brother, all because of God's amazing grace. That's why. And, and because your hand's not on it, you can't mess it up. Your hand's not on it, so you can't mess it up. That's what that song was all about that, that she sang. We see broken. He would see pieces. He puts them together because it's all his thing. It's not our thing. It's his thing. All we can do is repent, turn from sin. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make, make me one of your hired servants. Thankfully, that was not necessary. I, I appreciate his heart. But thankfully, it wasn't necessary. And, and we're, going to, we're going to see that. So the Bible says in verse 20, He arose and came to His Father. Verse 20, the second part. And when He was still a great way off, His Father saw Him and had compassion. You remember when, I, when the Scripture said, and no one gave Him anything? You won't find compassion... In the far country. But you will find it at home with dad. You won't find compassion in the far country. In fact, the same people that urge you to leave your wife will later condemn you for leaving your wife. The same laws that allow pornography and all that filth will throw you in jail if you look at the wrong kind. You won't find compassion. You won't find justice. In the far country. But you'll find compassion in the house of the father. So his father's been looking. Do you get that? Did you see that? The father had been looking for him. You got to love that. No one was looking for him in the far country because the money had run out. But the father's looking for him. And when he was still a great way off, he had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, do you have any idea what this boy smells like? Aren't you glad God didn't say, get your act together and then we'll talk about coming home? Come on now. Aren't you glad God didn't say, get your act together and we might let you come back? Oh, that's not how grace works. <laughs> I'm grateful. He runs up to him, pig stench and all filth and all, body odors and all, and embraces him and kisses him. Well, why, Dwayne? That's just what dads do, especially when you're talking about the Heavenly Father. 
just what the Father does. So, verse 21, the Son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your Son. He confessed and he expressed just what he was supposed to do, had planned to do. And the Father interrupts him in verse 22. And the Father said to his servants, not to the Son, to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Now, you've got to get the imagery here. This is not stretching the scripture. Get the imagery. The father turns to a servant and says, Go get the best robe because and put it on him. The robe is going to cover the filth of the journey. And it's going to stifle the stench. The song said, I'm dirty and filthy, but you make me white by your blood. Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah 1.18. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as white as Whoa. When that robe goes on, it is a picture of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Father covers the filth of the sin and stifles the stench and makes the boy clean. That is what God does for us. Whether it's salvation or whether it's coming back from a journey in the far country, He makes us clean. Yeah, come on, clap. Come on, clap. Now, now again, now again, if, if you're sitting there going, well, I can't get where you are, Dwayne. We'll come back tonight and you will. I'm excited how God takes broken, stinky sinners and makes them like snow and like wool. Now, if you're here today, and you've never been in the Father's house. You've lived in a far country. I've got a God who can give you a brand new past and a new present and a new future. I mean, we got a powerful God. We ain't got no wimpy God. we got a powerful God who can change lives today. Who can change lives today. Hmm. Go ahead and get a ring, and put it on his hand. That would have been the father's signet ring. That would be a restoration. This is so powerful. That is a restoration of authority that the father gave to the son. Now, now get this. The boy just shows up, stinking like a pig pen. He shows up. The father puts on the best robe in the house. He covers up the filth. He stifles the stench. And then it restores the authority of the fatherhood onto the son. He didn't say, come to Sunday school nine weeks in a row. We might let you enroll. Some of y'all remember that. He didn't, he didn't say, now, if you'll come to church three weeks in a row, we might let you get redeemed. No, 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 no. The boy shows up. And you know what I think maybe? I don't know, maybe. I'm just maybeing. 
Maybe it's because the moment that the father was hopeful for, the father knew it had occurred. You don't see, for obvious reasons, but you don't see the boy saying in chapter, you know, down the road, chapter 17, and Jesus said, now let's continue that story. There was a man who had two sons, and the young, young boy said, I want to go back again. How many times did David commit adultery? That would be once. You know why? He came to himself. If you know the Bible, you know the story. He gave him him the authority. He entrusted him with authority immediately upon return because he knew what had happened in his life. And then he says, give him those shoes. See, slaves didn't wear shoes. Only, Only people who didn't wear shoes were extremely poor people and slaves, which is really one and the same. He said, put shoes on his feet. Because I want people to know that when the boy came home, when he came home to dad, he didn't come as a slave. He came as a son. Is this sounding good? If you're in a far country today or you've been in a far country, this is good stuff. Good stuff. And then being a good Baptist, verse 23, and bring the fatted calf. That would be chicken and dumplings, fried chicken, green beans, and mashed potatoes with a little pecan pie on the side. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found, and they began to be merry. Wow. Now, look at me. I can say with absolute authority on the Word of God, this is what happens when you come home. It didn't just happen to this boy in a hypothetical story that Jesus Cole called a parable. This is the real deal. When sinners come home for the first time, they're going to kill some fatted calves and celebrate. And when God's kids who wander off into the far country come home, we're going to kill one for you too. You know, the Bible says in Luke 15 and 7, verse uh, Luke 15 and 10, both those places with the lamb and with the coin. God rejoices when sinners come home. There's a party, not for the person who attends Sunday school 50 years in a row, but there's a party for the sinner who comes home. Yeah, man. Now listen, listen. We start telling this message to the world out there. They might want to come put our little rock-chucking hands in our pockets and quit judging people and start loving people like Jesus did. And that includes church members who've wandered away. Because again, look around, there's about 300 of us here, maybe a little bit more. And all of us are broken. All of us are broken. I promise you, virtually all of us in some portion of our life, either are or have been in a far country. It would seem like we would help those pilgrims find their way back home. But it's here. I told you at the start of this message, this was a safe place. And I'm not looking for an altar full. I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you something. That God did not orchestrate this service today on accident. And again, if you're either A, 
in a far country or you're partially in a far country, I want you to know something. He's looking for you. And you will not find a club in His hand. You will not find a shaking finger in His hand. You will not find condemnation because the Bible says there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You will find your loving Father looking for you and running. How unethical was that? Running to the Son, arms wide open, saying, Welcome home. I don't know what the Taliban told Bo. You can't go back. And frankly, again, that's a story still being written. But I'm not so certain Taliban didn't just fill his head more and more garbage that happens in the far country. Listen to the truth today. And come home to a father. Come home to life with dad again. And you're going to find what you've been looking for. Let's pray together. Well, God, you're just way good. Jesus, I thank you. You're the master storyteller for sure. And you told this story, and it's wonderful. Thank you for allowing it to be included in the Word of God. Thank you for leading Dr. Luke to record it for us. Father, I pray today for a friend here today who may be in the far country and has never come yet to the Father's house. And you're inviting them to begin a relationship through your Son, Jesus Christ, with you. I pray they'd have the courage and the boldness to step out of their chair and come down and take Brother Brent by the hand and say, I want to come into the Father's house. Father, for so many of us who either partially or all the way or are staying at the door of the far country, help us to know, God, that you love us and you want us to come home. For the folks here today who have loved ones, maybe it's a student, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, and they don't know what to do about the far country for that person, put them on their hearts to pray for them and to love them. And just like you, embrace them in open arms when they turn around. So this is your decision time. This is for what you want to do, God through our lives today. And we're going to give you the honor and praise, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen.